This is Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Call the show now at 760-480-8477. Email us at officehours at wscal.edu. Now, Scott Clark. One theologian described Christians as always playing an away game. As God's people, we recognize that we are not yet home. We are awaiting our homecoming at the King's return. Yet we are neither aimlessly biding time nor left alone in our waiting. There's much to do, to be, and to learn as we journey between the time of Christ's first coming and the time of His return. This conference is meant to explore the Church's identity, relationships, and responsibilities during this present yet evil passing age. The Church in Exile, that's the theme for our faculty conference this month, January 15 and 16, hosted online by Westminster Seminary, California. Again, that's The Church in Exile. The broadcast begins Friday, January 15 at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it continues Saturday morning, January 16 at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you're listening to this after the conference, you can see the video online. The conference is free and no registration is necessary. Check out the conference webpage at wscal.edu slash conference. That's wscal.edu slash conference. Or you can call 888-480-8474 for more details. That's wscal.edu slash conference. Or call 888-480-8474 for more details. Again, the conference is free and no registration is necessary. And all the information will be online or available by phone from the seminary. Our conference speakers this year are Dennis Johnson, Mike Horton, David Bendrunen, Craig Troxell, Joel Kim, and Bob Godfrey. And in this episode, we're going to hear from each of them about what it means to speak about the church in exile. The first epistle of Peter teaches Christians, whatever our cultural context, to view ourselves as exiles, not homeless, but distant from our real home. The inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you. That's 1 Peter 1, 4. Our uncomfortable calling as exiles to be neither isolated from nor absorbed into our environment means following the footsteps of our suffering servant, confident that even as we are marginalized, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Dennis Johnson is Professor Emeritus of Practical Theology at Westminster Seminary, California. California, where he taught from 1982 to 2018. He has been an Orthodox Presbyterian pastor in Fairlawn, New Jersey, and in East Los Angeles, and served as a pastor in the PCA for many years here in Escondido. After teaching New Testament for 16 years, he became our professor of practical theology, where he applied his background in biblical studies to the issues of ministry. And he is speaking at the conference this year, talking about the church as exiles. Hi, Dennis, and welcome back. Back to office hours. Thank you very much, Scott. Good to be with you. Well, this is an important topic, and I know that you have worked on First Peter, and I guess we all know something about what it's like to be exiles now. What does it mean to talk about the church as exiles? 
Well, when I was approached to participate in the conference, now obviously I'm going to be doing it virtually. I thought this is such an appropriate theme, the church in exile, and I get to talk from First Peter, as you mentioned in the intro, on the church's exiles, which is Peter's way of describing us right from the outset of the epistle. He's writing to people, as far as we know, in various parts of what is now Turkey, probably people who lived in the very communities in which they grew up, And yet now they've come to Christ, and so they are exiles. They're strangers in a strange land. They don't fit any longer. And I think, frankly, a lot of American Christians, probably Western Christians generally, are feeling like we don't fit so well anymore. We're not at home. Maybe we think longingly back to a generation ago when things felt more familiar to us, and now we feel like aliens. Peter was talking to that very kind of a situation. Now, these folks in the first century had come out of paganism to trust in Jesus, and they were thought strange, odd by the people that they used to go to drinking parties with and womanize with and so on. And it wasn't comfortable. But as Peter says, you don't belong here anymore because you have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. And that means you need to be unique. You need to be distinctive, not wholly withdrawn from the society around you, but at the same time, not absorbed into it, not conformed to it. So that's basically what I want to share from First Peter. Peter says some really interesting things uh, about how this mindset, or as Paul would say, our citizenship is in heaven. That's Roman category. Peter says our inheritance is in heaven. That's more Jewish category. How that changes the way we approach the society around us. Dennis, we are looking forward to this conference and uh, looking forward to hearing from you. And we will see you in January. Sounds good. As pilgrims, we are purposefully and intentionally headed somewhere. We have been liberated for the journey, but we've neither settled nor arrived. In our faculty conference, Mike Horton will compare and contrast being a pilgrim with being a master and with being a tourist. Mike has taught apologetics and theology at Westminster Seminary, California since 1998. He's a minister in the United Reformed Churches in North America, and he's been host of the White Horse Inn, a nationally syndicated radio show and podcast, and Core Christianity, a radio show and podcast. He is also editor-in-chief of Modern Reformation Magazine. He is author of more than 20 books, most recent of which is Core Christianity, Finding Yourself in God's Story. Mike joins us now to give us an idea of what it means to talk about the church as pilgrims. Hi, Mike, and welcome back to Office Hours. Hi, Scott. It's good to be back with you. So, what does it mean to talk about the church as pilgrims? What does that mean? Yeah, thanks for asking, Scott. I'm really looking forward to this conference. There are basically, it seems to me, three ways you can live in this world. The first is as masters, and this is kind of uh, the sort of thing we find in the modern age with people like Hegel thinking that he knows everything. And if you just follow his system, it will play itself out in all areas of life. These absolute certainties that we think we ought to have, that we think we do have, as if we've arrived. And, you know, the only problem, doggone it, is that not everybody gets it. Not everybody has arrived with us. And then at the other extreme, you have, and this is often identified these days with postmodernism, a reaction against that by saying, well, there is no truth. There is no end point. There is no goal. Friedrich Nietzsche 
you know, to paraphrase him, he said that we came from nowhere special. We're going to nowhere special, but in between we can have a party and make something special of yourself. I call that the tourist. You know, we're not going anywhere. We don't have any destination, but it sure is fun to just travel and look at places and everything is equally interesting. But the Bible calls us to be something different from either masters or tourists, and that is pilgrims. Pilgrims have a destination. They know where they're headed. They're feeding off of the news that there is a homeland awaiting them, and they will push aside other pursuits in order to arrive there safely. And they're not traveling alone. They're traveling with other pilgrims who will help them along when they fall, scuff their knees, or they fall into a ditch, or they break a leg. They'll be carried. And so pilgrims haven't arrived, but they know they will. They know that it's up ahead. They don't know everything about it, Think of what the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 11.13 about the Old Testament saints. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. Even Abraham was looking for a better city with foundations whose maker is God. And that's what we're looking for. You know, we're not looking for a city here on earth whose builder and architect are the founding fathers or Lenin and Stalin or, you know, Mao. We're looking for a city whose architect is God himself. And he's prepared a city for us. So I want to look at what it means to be designated in the New Testament a pilgrim. We're not captive. We're not living in exile as the people of God were before Christ's coming. We're living in an era of redemption, an era of deliverance, and yet we're pilgrims who haven't arrived to our celestial city. And so that's the focus, Scott, of that talk. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I know the listener is too. So we will see you at the conference January 15 and 16 at wscal.edu slash conference. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Looking forward to the conference. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. How is the church to remain faithful to preaching the gospel, which is an offense, alongside the call to live in peace with all people? Both are expressions of Christian love. In his conference message, David Vendrunen will explore how the church relates to unbelieving neighbors alongside whom it exists. Dave is a minister of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church who has been teaching at Westminster Seminary, California since 2001. He served as a pastor in Hanover Park, Illinois, and currently serves the OPC's Committee on Christian Education and Subcommittee on Ministerial Training. His research focuses on the intersection of systematic theology, biblical studies, ethics, and legal and political theory. Dr. Vendrunen is the author or editor of 11 books, and most recently, Politics After Christendom, Political Theory in a Fractured World. He joins us now to talk about the church as neighbor. Hi, Dave, and welcome back to Office Hours. Thanks, Scott. So what does it mean to talk about the church as neighbor? Well, if we think back to the story of God's people throughout Scripture, I think it's interesting to compare our situation as New Covenant Christians with those of our Old Covenant ancestors. And so if you think about, for example, Abraham, he was called to be a sojourner, as we are, in a different kind of way, in a certain sense. You might say he was called to be a good neighbor 
neighbor to those people in the areas where he was sojourning, but he wasn't called to be a evangelist or a missionary to them. He was called to live in peace alongside them. If you think about Israel living in the land under the Mosaic law, it's interesting there that in a sense, they weren't really called to be good neighbors to other peoples. They were to be in their land. They were to expel those who were not worshipers of the true God. But then we think about ourselves as New Covenant believers. Like Abraham, we are called to be good neighbors. We're called to live alongside unbelievers, to live at peace with them as far as possible, as the New Testament puts it. But at the same time, we are also called to be evangelists. We're called to be missionaries, or not necessarily all of us individually, but the church is called to a missionary task. And I think that sets us apart from our old covenant ancestors to have both of those tasks. And I think it's a difficult task because the gospel that we proclaim is inherently offensive. It calls people to account for their sin. It tells them about God's judgment. Of course, it tells them good news on how to escape from that judgment. But we know that sinners don't want to hear that they're sinners. And so what I'd like to reflect on is the idea that on the one hand, we're called to love our neighbors by living at peace with them, by collaborating with them in the affairs of this world. And yet at the same time, we love them by holding out an inherently offensive message that they're sinners and that they're need of a great salvation. And yet that's really good news because there is such a salvation. So those are some of the things that I'd like to reflect on in my lecture. There are many important callings in this life. Physicians, nurses, police officers, and firefighters, they all save lives until Jesus returns. Everyone helped by a doctor, a nurse, a firefighter, or a police officer, however, will die. And then what? There is another calling that is vitally and eternally important. The ministry of the gospel. At Westminster Seminary, California, we've been educating men for pastoral ministry since 1980. Scripture says, After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's John six sixty-six through 69 Jesus does have the words of eternal life, and he's commissioned his church and his ministers, his servants, to announce them to the world. Perhaps the Lord is calling you to pastoral ministry or to some other kind of service. We're grateful for your prayers and support as we seek to continue to fulfill our calling to help men and women fulfill their callings for Christ, his gospel, and his church. WSCAL.edu, 888 8474 Westminster Seminary, California For Christ, His Gospel, and His Church Christ fills all in all, but the Church is His fullness That's Ephesians 1, 21 and 22 The headship of Christ splashes upon the shores of millions of galaxies And myriads of angelic hosts Which bow to the dominion of Christ's supremacy And yet... It is the church, not the universe, which is his body. All things are under his feet. One thing is the apple of his eye. This message will unfold how this marvelous reality influences how we worship and serve Christ as creator, 
ruler, and redeemer. Craig Troxell will be addressing the topic, The Church as Body. He served as pastor of Bethel Presbyterian Church, OPC, in Wheaton, Illinois, and as pastor of Calvary Presbyterian Church, OPC, in Glenside, Pennsylvania. He began his ministry serving as an itinerant preacher in Wasilla and Fairbanks, Alaska. His latest book is With All Your Heart, Orienting Your Mind, Desires, and Will Toward Christ. His research interests include pastoral theology, reformed spirituality, the doctrine of the church, and the biblical teaching on the heart. Craig joins us now to give us a preview of the church as body. Hi, Craig, and welcome back to Office Hours. Thank you. It's good to be with you. So what does it mean to talk about the church as body? Well, the church as a body can go a couple different directions, but there's some scholars that would say that all the metaphors that we have of the church, this is the most important one. And there are a few scholars even that would argue this is the most important metaphor that we have in the New Testament, uh, the church as the body of Christ. And if you look at the way in which this metaphor works itself out, you can go one or two directions. So, when Ephesians and Colossians talks about Christ as the head of the body, there the emphasis seems to be more on authority, and the emphasis is upon Christ. When you turn to 1 Corinthians and Romans, when you see the word body, the emphasis there is really more upon unity. And so, it's interesting to me that we have a few passages, and one of them is found at the very end of Ephesians chapter 1, and that's the passage I'd like to look at in my talk, where it talks about the church as the body of Christ, but it's in the context of describing what it means that Christ is head, head over all things, but head of his church as well. And this passage intrigues me because he's saying that the church as a body stands in a unique relationship to Christ, not only because he uses this language of body, that the church is his body, but he has two other clues he gives to us to describe just how special the relationship is between the church as a body in relationship to Christ, and especially contrasting that to Christ's relationship with all that he has made, all things seen and unseen. He does it grammatically. I'll talk about that. That's kind of less interesting, but it's pointing to something theologically rich, namely the priority of Christ's headship of his body, as opposed to his headship over all things. But the second thing that I want to explore in my talk is the fact that he describes the church as his fullness, even as he fills all things. And so here again, you get this twofold description of the body, the church is the body, but what does that mean? And I think it has some important implications to show us just how Christ cherishes his church, if we could use that language that's used in Ephesians 5, just how special and unique his relationship is over the church in a way that really, truly transcends his relationship to all things. There's no question that Christ is supreme, you know, over everything, and not only as creator, but especially in light of his exaltation. And so, this is the sort of thing I'd like to bring out in my talk and really think about what's the significance of the fact that Christ thinks of his church in this way and that he looks upon us in this unique way. And I think that just has important implications. And basically, in a nutshell, that's kind of what I want to do in my talk. Well, we are looking forward to it, and we will see you at the conference. Very good, sir. What do the sufferings of the Church of Christ in the past and around the globe teach us about the present church? It is easy to forget that Christ's church is more often marked by persecution and not by prosperity. 
This message will explore how Christ's church bears witness in the midst of persecution, proclaiming the enduring reign of God and the power of His Word. Joel Kim will be speaking to the church as persecuted. He's president of Westminster Seminary, California, where he has served since 2005. He teaches New Testament here and has served as pastor of congregations in Michigan and in Southern California. His most recent book is Romans, Nothing But Grace, in the series Not Your Average Bible Study, published by Lexham Press in 2017. And Joel joins us now on Office Hours to talk with us about what it means to think about the church as persecuted. Hi, Joel, and welcome back to Office Hours. Thank you very much. So, what does it mean to talk about the church as persecuted? As we were thinking about the topic of the church on this side of glory, we discussed many different topics and possibilities in thinking about the church and how we ought to be at the moment. And as we think about these issues, we recognize that many, if not most of the churches in history and in the Bible were actually persecuted churches, not one in the midst of prosperity. And so the question we have for those who are attending and for myself is, what do the sufferings of the Church of Christ in the past and even now around the globe teach us about the present church? how we ought to be and what we are, perhaps even. And so we want to explore in this talk the word in terms of what scripture teaches about the early church and her sufferings, and also to explore history and in terms of the sufferings that have taken place in the churches, in church history, and also to discuss the global church and what churches are facing. Many of us are quite familiar with a number of churches in different countries where they live under the cross, and we want to be able to explore and share those things together, not simply as a means of thinking about them theoretically, but on a very practical level, I think it grants to us perspective about the church and where we are, where we're headed. And at the same time, it gives us hope that indeed in the midst of many of these difficulties and sufferings, the churches have endured, have been resilient, and in fact, they've continued to grow, not just in terms of number, but in terms of its maturity. And so we want to learn from these experiences how Christ's church bears witness in the midst of many challenges that are around us with hopes of recognizing Christ's faithfulness to his church all around, even now. Thanks, Joel. We are looking forward to hearing from you at the conference, and we'll see you there on uh, January 15th and 16th. Thank you very much, Scott. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. One of the greatest hopes of the church in this age is that this age will end. The hope is not wishful thinking nor speculation. This hope is anchored to the persons and purposes of her triune God in time and eternity. She will be brought home to glory and glorified, ruling, reigning, and resting in perfect peace for eternity. Home at last, free at last. Bob Godfrey has taught church history at Westminster Seminary, California since 1981 and served as the seminary's third president from 1993 to 2017. He's a minister in the United Reformed Churches in North America, a Ligonier Ministries teaching fellow, where he serves as chairman of the board. His most recent book is Saving the Reformation, the Pastoral Theology of the Canons of Dort. This year, Bob is speaking to the conference on the church as glorified, and he joins us now to give us a preview. Hi, Bob. Hi, Scott. Always good to be with you. Are you sure about that? 
Yes, but you may regret inviting me for these five minutes. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. So what does it mean to talk about the church as glorified? Well, you asked if I would give you five minutes of my time to talk about the church as glorified, and I thought, you know, the seminary is only giving me 50 minutes at the conference. If I give you 10% now of my speech, who will want to come? So I'm telling you nothing. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that, that's one strategy. My hope was that you would say just enough to entice the listener to want to go online and watch the conference. Oh, okay, if you insist. <laughs> you know, what I was thinking is that this is an important conference. It's a valuable conference, but, you know, it's slightly a downer, the church in exile. So my recommendation to the good listener is that they really ought to listen to one lecture at the conference and then listen to mine. Since it's online, they'll be able to do that. And then they can listen to another lecture and listen online to mine because I'm going to be upbeat. I'm the happy lecture. They're talking about hard times. I'm talking about good times. So so they should just, you know, keep listening to mine as a kind of, you know, upbeat answer to the realities that we're facing right now. Kind of an antidote. An antidote, absolutely. Don't you think that's a good strategy? Sure. I don't know if... It, <laughs> don't commit yourself publicly. <laughs> well, I think that they should listen to all of the talks. But I it, do, too. It, I do, too. I'm just saying they ought to listen to mine every other one. Yeah. So that that way, you know, they won't get too discouraged. We can think of yours as a little bit of ice cream on top of whatever else is happening. So A little bit of glory. Yes, a little bit of glory. <laughs> Yes, that's right. I'm going to try, not to be trying, but to uh, give people a foretaste of what the scriptures tell us about what it'll be like for the church to be glorified. And what do you think it will be like for the church to be glorified? Can you be a little you more specific? You have to listen to my lecture to find out. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's going to be really, really good. It's the good. glory, not my lecture. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm going to do the best I can with the lecture. But it is interesting, as I've been working on this, to realize the Bible doesn't tell us as much specifically about glory as we might have expected. So I'm going to be trying to find all the tidbits that I can to help us think about what the Lord has revealed to us about the church glorified. You have done some work on the Revelation, so it's not as if you haven't given this topic or allied or related topics some consideration. You're not just that is true. Making that is up true, things. and um, I am going to be focusing my remarks around uh, Revelation 21. We won't do just that, so we're going to see what uh, Revelation 21 has to say about our expectation and hope when Christ returns in glory. You remember Norman Hofflinger? You knew him from years ago. I do indeed remember him. Norman Hofflinger and I and another friend, Howard Hart, drove out to Colorado from Kansas City to go to a pastor's conference. And uh, we got so engrossed in our discussion about the nature of the life of the church in glory that we ran out of gas somewhere in western Colorado where the temperature was probably minus 10. So I thought maybe there was a good chance we might end up in glory <laughs> before we <laughs> before we got gas. But uh, fortunately, we were able to soldier on and march into town and the nice fellow at the gas station came back and saved us. So Actually, Jesus saved you. But did the nice fellow in town 
did he get told about why you had run out of gas? I don't remember, really. We were so cold by the time we got to the gas station <laughs> that, honestly, everything is a blank from... I remember getting out of the car and beginning to march to town, and that's all I really remember, and then coming back to the car. Well, I'm glad you survived and that uh, glory yet awaits you. I have been, as you know, teaching at my adult Sunday school in the Escondido United Reformed Church on First Peter, and I've been so very struck by Peter's emphasis on the end times being a motivation for Christian living today. So... You know, Peter, right at the beginning of his epistle, talks about how we've been born again to a living hope of the glory that will come in Christ. So Christ really does mean for the promise of glory to be a motivation for us to live now. And I hope that my lecture will do something to advance that cause. I'm sure it will. And I am looking forward to it. And I know that the listener is also looking forward to it. So. And now both you and the listener will actually have to listen to it because I've given you very little of what will be in it. Yes, and you've managed to fill up a good bit of time for this episode, so <laughs> I'm thankful for both. Well, good. I'm thankful for your work in encouraging people to join us for the conference. That's it for this episode of Office Hours. Thanks to Dennis Johnson, Mike Horton, David Vendrunen, Craig Troxell, Joel Kim, and Bob Godfrey for giving us a preview of what is to come later this month, January 15 and 16, 2021, in our annual faculty conference, The Church in Exile. Thanks to our longtime producer, Brian Frick, for all his hard work and skill in helping to bring this episode together. For more information, go to wscal.edu slash conference or call 888 888- 480-8474.